week, we sat down with Stacey Halal of Curious Comedy out in Portland, Oregon. We were at the Orlando International Fringe Festival. So this one, we're a little bit outside, then we're a little bit inside, and I got to sit with her live, so there's some noise. It's really full of great information. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Did you listen back? Yeah, it sounded really good. And here we are at Fringe. Yeah. So this is exciting. Excellent. It's Orlando Fringe for those listening. Um, so we're just going to talk about teaching, and maybe the people behind us will stop talking. Or right. I don't know. Or maybe they'll talk more. It'll be fun. I actually really like that fun booth. Um, I like to ask everybody, do you remember the first class you taught? The first class I taught? Oh, my gosh. What a great question. Uh, I remember the first group I coached. Uh, it was called Kick the Squirrel. It was a group that was going to Portland State University. And I, I coached them, uh, include Adam Higgins, who went on to move to Chicago after, after I left Chicago. Uh, he, he spent many years at uh, Mission Improbable touring and did a bunch of stuff there. Uh, and a bunch of those guys are still in Portland as well. Um, so, yeah, that was the first one that I taught. I taught some classes at comedy sports and uh, a bunch of other people yeah so that was it way back in Portland before I moved to Chicago did you when you started doing all that did you feel because like some people get I'm not some people those of us we talked to get the improv bug right like we are like ooh, I have to do this forever did you feel like you got that with coaching is when you started to teach like oh I could really go down this rabbit hole I come from a family of teachers so my mom's a teacher all of my siblings teach if not for their jobs uh they they teach in some capacity so my brother is a lawyer but he also teaches law on the side um my sister is an actor but she also teaches alexander technique Um, my other sister is an elementary school teacher my mom uh, taught my high school i went to school and then became a teacher here in florida at ucf um, so my mother's entire side of her family are, are teachers, so it's it's in my blood for sure, teaching, yeah. So you you go to Chicago, and then you land up back in Portland. Yep. And um, did, are you, um, did you create the curriculum you're, you're using now? Or yes. Was, okay. Yeah, I did. So when you uh, set off on that adventure, did you have in mind what you wanted to do, or was that a big learning process of, of building out the curriculum? I mean, both of those things are true. I mean, I I took classes in Portland, and the answer is a little bit of both. Um, when I moved to Chicago, I was lucky enough to have a job where I was a freelancer. I traveled about a week a month, and then the rest of the time, I was pretty much my own, so I was able to take uh, all four main training centers simultaneously. Oh. So, yeah, I was in class at I.O., Second City, Annoyance, and Comedy Sports Chicago Ooh. at the same time. So I was really entrenched in all four different approaches. Uh, and so I took a little bit from each of those things and then also from my own perspective and combined those into my my own curriculum. And so when you opened, were you the only teacher uh, to start off with, or, or did you have already some people in place? I taught every class, yeah. yeah, at the beginning, for sure. So as you started to grow then, 
um, what, how did you develop the philosophy on like making sure the teaching was up to like the standards that you would obviously put into place? Did you develop a train-the-trainer program, or was it like, oh, I, uh, I need a teacher. You've been here a long time. I like you. Let's do this. Yeah, pretty much that <laughs> second thing. Uh, I, I created a – well, I mean, a big part of what's interesting about Portland is that the scene was relatively small when we opened Curious, and, you know, there was comedy sports and the Brody – but the people at Comedy Sports mostly stayed at Comedy Sports, and the people at Brody stayed at Brody. Um, and so the people who started teaching had been taught by me every level. So my voice was pretty much in their head, um, which became harder as we grew faster later. Okay. Um, but for the first few years, the, the teachers were people who had been taught by me. And then we'd create outlines of the curriculum okay. and talking points. Um, so I trained the teachers um, on how to teach, but also the philosophy was very much entrenched in my philosophy because they had grown up in right. my training. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you... Um, it was harder later as we grew faster and needed more teachers and we had a lot of people who laterally moved okay. to Portland from other cities. That became a little bit harder uh, as different people came with their own points of view from other cities. So how did you... Then it became more important to create more specific curriculum. Is that, and so that's what you did? It's just then yeah. really just do a more specific Totally. And it became more important as Portland's scene started to grow to define more what made Curious different from other training centers is you know like why why take curious versus other other right. training centers and also i think i i've been working really hard in trying to define uh I, I feel like it's a real problem if you go through a training center you just take five levels or six levels and then you're done a lot of people aren't done and so if you just let them kind of go and then they go take stuff somewhere else and then they go through those, they're not necessarily getting exactly what they need going through levels. So we're trying to do an intermediate section that's skill-based versus just like, I'm going to learn from this person, their approach, and then I'm going to learn from this person, their approach, or I learn from this person, their approach, right? Like, Because then I might take three people in a row who all kind of teach the same thing and I'm not getting the character work that I need. Right. I'm not getting the emotional work that I need. Or I'm not getting, like, how do I know? I could pay $1,000 for four classes in a row because it's way cheaper in Portland. You can get four classes right. for $1,000. <laughs> uh, uh, whereas in bigger cities, I, you only get two classes for $1,000. But, uh, <laughs> but still, not work on my character work at all. Right. So it it curious we're trying to make it so if you get through all five levels and you're still not doing great character work you can go back into the middle of the program and not feel like you're just being held back or repeating a level without working on the specific thing you need to work on yeah we um because uh the whole point was to get like we had a team in place when we started and then i started teaching and sort of developing like this whole long form getting people up and running and so we had the 
first generation of the of the curriculum after three shows at uh, three shows after three classes they were then put onto a team so we could start because if you can't learn the herald if no one's playing the herald right? right so we had to get some teams up and running so people could at least be watching even if they're in their young learning phases it's better than not watching anything um and then as we started to finally like get teams and people it is so apparent that because we had a lot of people coming in who had very little experience um three uh, three classes you can't you get that concept of in our philosophy but it's so much of what we're doing so we end up going to a five class yeah. curriculum and even that now so I'm still I'm thinking like as they come out of their five it's still going to be like an incubator herald team versus you're a herald team right uh, because then we also get this whole like I uh, didn't have to and it's not I don't want people to feel bad about themselves but like oh I'm a herald player I don't have to grow anymore well, and so, it's, so what we what we've put into place is that we actually have um House teams where you you pay to be on the house team. So you're paying for your coach and you're paying for your rehearsal space um, because we feel like you're still being educated. Right. Uh, and that's different than being on a main stage house team. Right. So main stage house team is a house team that is at a level where you're playing on the weekends and people are paying to come see you. Right. And the ticket price is covering your coach and your rehearsal space so you're earning uh the cost of your coaching and your space through your quality of performance being good enough to earn that while you're still an incubator team while you're still learning you're still paying but it's nowhere near the cost of a class right so there is this intermediate phase where you're better enough that you're not quite in classes so you're not paying that level but you're still not a good enough player that you're delivering at the level of a main stage player right so we did put that in place we do we have our our other herald teams they do they they we keep it super cheap but coach i assign the coach to the team they have to pay their coach and if there's room available i'll give it them but there's never room available because i'm always having classes in there so it's up to them to find the space and cover the cost, and then they play like once a month. So they're and then right. So what right. they yeah. So what we do is what they get in exchange for their coaches' fees and you know their team fees is they get a coach that that we assign. Um, they get a space that we arrange. Okay. They get um, two shows a month that we schedule. Okay. Um, and then in exchange for and then they get the marketing of those shows but then in, they're also expected to help market those shows right. they're expected to help with theater fundraisers right. twice a year um and then so and then the administration right, right. so it's it's a it's a give and take sure of because it, it's a pain, right, to schedule shows. It's a pain to find space. It's a pain to do all of those things. I don't think it's helpful to rehearse in homes. No, I don't either. Yeah. Okay, we found a place inside. So this is going to sound different, but I'm excited uh, that we're now in a quiet area. Yay. Yay. So as we were saying, yeah, yeah and if, if somebody has difficulty paying, they can uh, do volunteer hours in exchange right. for their house payments or if they – just really can't do if they don't have the time or the money right. it's never 
in issue, we actually have main stage players who also donate for house team members. Okay. So there's scholarships right. they, they cover. I mean, it's no one has ever turned away from right. money issues. Do you, um, your current teaching philosophy, do you think that still lines up with how you guys started or do you think that's changed over time? And do you, and if you've thought about it, could you articulate it? <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing that's changed is that skill-based uh, part in adding that. The biggest thing that's changed is, for me, understanding. Um, I've learned a lot about intermediate. The phase of learning in the intermediate <laughs> section. Uh, so there's... Uh, unconscious incompetence and then there's conscious incompetence right. <laughs> yep. there's conscious competence and unconscious uh, competence and the conscious incompetence phase is terrible right. <laughs> and I've learned a lot more about how terrible that is over my years teaching and that that phase is when you lose a lot of students um, they lose confidence in themselves they also lose confidence in their teachers. Yes. They also uh, they, they just start pointing fingers at everybody, yes. at their their fellow students, at their teachers, at at the institution. They start you know the organization. They just start hitting everybody and everything. <laughs> and um, yep. so you know I've started to put a lot of strategies in place to help that along, and I really found that having a skill based. Um, curriculum at that time helps because the plateaus that people experience at that time are helped by if not having it be so vague. Um, so for example, a metaphor that we could look at is like if you're trying to drive a car and you're trying to learn all the pieces of driving a car all at once um, and you can start to feel like I'm not getting better at steering and I'm not getting better at the at, uh, using the pedals and I'm not getting better at putting it in the driver reverse and I'm not getting better at looking at the mirror like it all feels very overwhelming at that time and if you're just like okay great we're just going to focus on steering and we're just in this class we're not worrying about everything we're just worrying about steering it's much easier to break through the plateau if you're are you better at steering Yes, I can tell that I have gotten better at steering. In these seven weeks, my steering is better. And that's it. Right. And then the next class, have you gotten better at knowing when to apply the brakes and when to apply the gas? Yes, I have gotten better at when to use the brakes and when to use the gas. And then in this class, we've gotten better at knowing when to look at the rear view. You know, so by right. breaking it down into those pieces helps people relax a little bit more um, during that intermediate phase. And then they can see that their classmates have also gotten better at the steering. Right. Because what happens is if everyone's doing everything and they can be like, they're focused on their steering and they're getting really pissed that their classmate's steering is screwed up, but their classmate may actually be getting better at looking in the mirror. Right. But they're not on the same page in right. that particular class. Yeah. So by getting everyone to focus on that same skill at that same time helps everybody advance at that same skill at that same time. Yeah, that's I love I love this. Um, so with all of these things going on, are you um, are you doing student evaluations to so that you can keep track of what's going on with the teachers? Do you do student eval? Like, do they, do they get an eval at the end of the course, and does that include like information on the teacher? 
Um, the student evaluates the yes. teachers. Yes. yes. Yes, we do. Have yeah. you yourself ever gotten an evaluation where you're like, what? What is that? Not really. Good. I, yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, a little bit. I, there was a... In a <laughs> I mean, there was an evaluation recently by a student who thought I did not like him, which I thought was really interesting. And then I had him again in a more advanced class, and I did a little speech about being from the East Coast and how direct I am, and then in their anonymous. Right. So it was the same group of students, and then a student came up and said, oh, I'm so glad you said that because I thought you didn't like me and I'm from Hawaii. And so I was like, oh, that makes sense. And that was something that I became aware of um, more recently, you know, and was the reason why I made that little speech where I was like, I'm in the Pacific Northwest and I'm from the East Coast. So I have been trying to be more upfront with people about my style being more direct and I've realized like a lot of people are really sensitive (laughs) so even though I think I'm very warm and loving that my very direct feedback can often be heard as me not liking people so I'm just saying it right off the bat okay yeah do you um um metrics right there we go do you guys use metrics or it's so improv so subjective yeah. So it's hard to, um, I mean, there's, I, I personally think there's definitely times when you're like, that student can't go forward for a variety of reasons, but it's really hard to keep super specific metrics I find in place. Um, I, I, I honestly think I rarely find a student that doesn't know exactly what's going on. I really do. I feel like when I st- that's a all students love diagnostics classes, right? They'll, right. You offer a diagnostics class, they'll all sign up. Like Joe Bill comes to town, you offer yes. diagnostics. That'll be the class that sells out in two minutes. But I find that when I circle students up at the beginning of the intermediate or advanced class and I say, Tell me what your strength is, tell me what your weakness is, they're right. Yeah. They know. Yeah. I really feel like they know. Yeah. So with that in mind, though, do you guys as a group then go at the end of level two? Because some schools are very much like it doesn't matter. Everyone's going through. Um, but then some schools are like, no, we're not necessarily going to push everybody through. Well, when we first started, we used to do auditions between almost every level. Oh, really? Yeah, we did. Because, because I would find that we would lose a lot of stronger students would be frustrated by students that were struggling and um so and they, I really wanted people to learn like I really <laughs> did it because I wanted people to stay until they mastered those skills before they moved on to the next level but there's there's two main groups of students right there's the students who are really want to get great at comedy and there's the students who want to be part of the community right. and are there as a more intramural experience yes and so the auditions terrified the intramural. Yes. I mean, they terrify everybody, but unnecessarily the, the intramural students. And so we realized pretty quickly, like, this was just terrifying everybody. And so we stopped doing it. Um, and now we, unless somebody is a major issue in some way, people go through and then we do just auditions in the upper levels. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you go from 
levels one and two. So one is intro to improv in general. Two is in, intro to scene work. Okay. Then you go into our core series, which is all those skill-based, the intermediate levels that I'm talking about. And then you audition to get into the advanced okay. scene work and then into the advanced uh, performance mastery classes with me. Okay. So if they don't get – if they audition and they don't get um, cast – can they retake classes? Because like then at Brownlee's, they should go back into the skill base. Right, but it doesn't feel like just being randomly held back. Then okay. we can say, "Here's why you didn't get in," okay. and you can specifically go back and repeat okay. the skills that were the reason you didn't get in. Okay. So it doesn't feel like you have to repeat their grade. Right. It's like, hey, you didn't get in because you're strong in playing emotion, but not character work. Okay. So you need to repeat the character class okay. or your characters are great, but you're not as great in the internal work. So you need to take the emotion class again. Okay. So that way we can direct them to very specific classes to work on those very specific skills. I think that's great. Cause I think, uh, especially for a lot of uh, newer teachers and stuff, those conversations can be really difficult to mm-hmm. facilitate. And I, Personally, like I know for myself, um, theater-wise, with cast, not classes, having such detailed guidelines in place has helped uh, facilitate conversations when we're like, hey, so you read this, we went over it, you signed it, and here's where we're having problems, and this is what we need you to do in order to either stay or go, right? Right. And those guidelines help, so I feel like that's helps you guys facilitate the hard, you know, conversation. Yeah, and I'm also a hard conversation person. I Have you always I, been that way, you think? I am. That's kind of who I am okay. as a person. I believe that a healthy organization needs to have somebody who's willing to have the hard conversations. Right. Just across the board with my staff, with sure. performers. Like, it's to, there's a value that we have that I kind of took out of my marketing consulting is justice. So justice is about having hard conversations. If you're not willing to have those hard conversations, you're not operating with justice in mind, and, and you end up tolerating behaviors amongst your staff or amongst your performers um, that isn't in service to the health of the greater whole. Yeah. So if you have a performer who has a weakness on stage that you're not willing to be honest with them about, it's weakening your show and your ensemble and everyone else is having to pick up that slack. Right. It's the same thing off stage with your staff. If you have a staff member who isn't pulling their own weight in an area, what you're doing is burdening everybody else right. to having to compensate for that. So that's what justice is. Um, it's There's a bunch of nuns who are hilarious who founded a hospital. And when it, it's, a conversation that if you have a lot of compassionate people, it, it's actually the hard conversations have to be talked about amongst people who are compassionate and kind, actually, because kind and compassionate people will over overcompensate for each other. Right. And burn each other that makes out. sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I'm aware of it is coming from actually a place of uh, wanting to not have a hard conversations. Right. Right. right, right. So, 
we all want to be kind and compassionate and take care of each other, right? Right. And, and improv is about taking care right. of each other. So a lot like nuns, right? <laughs> like we're all like, I want to take care of you and I want to be good to you and I want to compensate for you and help you. But if we all do that too much, we all enable each other and we actually weaken each other as a whole and individually. Um, so we have to train ourselves to have the hard conversations and uh, say to somebody, hey, you know what, um, this is an area in which you are weak. But if we always look at our weaknesses as a shadow of our strengths, it's easier to have those conversations. And I am a firm believer that everybody's weakness is a shadow side of a strength. And it's a great way to have that conversation. I love that. Yeah. I have not heard that before, so that's... That's awesome. And I think it's true, and I firmly believe it. So it's not a lie that I tell somebody. <laughs> so that makes it a lot easier. That's so funny. So, so, so for example, somebody who is a great uh, inventor and character player and who's super comfortable in the spotlight uh, is generally not a great listener. They're not a great support player. Right. So um, those things just tend to go hand in hand. So it's like because you're great at this thing, because you're great at going from the inside out, uh, you don't write a hose sprays water from inside out. It doesn't have a lot of room to take in. Right. So that just naturally is like you're not the best listener because you're so great at taking from up here in the universe and processing stuff from the inside out. So you have to learn to bring stuff from the out in better. Somebody who's a great support person is exactly the opposite. They're more like a vacuum. They're great at taking information from the outside and pulling it inside, and they're a great listener. So they're great at pulling stuff in. They have a harder time listening to themselves and pushing stuff out. Those are really common criticisms, right? As a teacher, you see it all of the time. So those go hand in hand. So as long as you're looking at somebody honestly and seeing what's the strength that goes with this weakness, people can hear that way easier. Yeah. And it's way yeah. easier to give that criticism as long as you see the partnering strength that yeah. goes with it. So with all of that in mind, um, and because you can do the hard conversations, um, do you in classroom situations will you stop scenes when they're starting to go off the rails? Immediately. Okay. It is a waste of time to continue a scene past the moment that it has gone off the rails. Great. So, and then you just, do you have the conversation with the classroom as a whole, or do you start with the, you know, whatever happened on stage and then open it up, or is it just... I'll just say, freeze, what happened? (laughs) Okay. And then I'll try to have that person diagnose what happened in that moment. Okay. And if they can't recognize what happened in that moment... Um, I'll usually diagnose it really quickly rather than overdiagnose it in that moment because my goal is to rewind it to the moment it went off the rails and give the person the opportunity to have success. Okay. So rather, because if you open up to too much discussion, you're going to ruin the momentum. Sure. In my opinion. Right. I see the value in also opening it up for discussion and have no criticism of that technique and there are moments where that's also a good technique right I was gonna say it probably also depends on what we're talking about right Um, so exercise you're doing at that time but I will say my default would be to stop it ask what was going on because usually it's a deflection of vulnerability in that moment and I'll try to say you know whether it was a 
question or movement, whatever the defense mechanism that was employed, I will identify it and then rewind, have the person repeat the offer that was deflected and then give that person the opportunity to actually accept that offer and move into it. So given that you've been told that you're direct, et cetera, et cetera, yes. do you get pushback on feedback when you give it? Rarely, but sometimes. Okay. So so if you do, how are you handling that? I think that's a really important thing for, for newer teachers to hear from those who have handled it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will usually just repeat what I said. Okay. Um, I had a, I had a fantastic, you know, a lot of the things I'm talking about are funny because I was talking about the hospital, but also I was a real estate agent. I had a lot of jobs in my life. Uh, and I had a, um, a fantastic broker, a real estate broker. I was a real estate agent for like a year and her name was Ruby Brockett. And I have a character named Ruby Rocket who was very much inspired, uh, inspired by Ruby Brockett. She was like a real estate agent for forever. And she had a big red uh, beehive hairdo oh, love her and already. very contained and very powerful, <laughs> like in herself. And, uh, I was 26 and I look younger, you know, than I am. So I looked like 16. And, uh, so that was already against me <laughs> going to these negotiations and like people look up your number too. So it was in my first year. Um, so we're talking about credibility, right? Cause it's all about credibility. And, um, and, and a lot of people get into real estate because they're, um, Dysfunctional people, like <laughs> alcoholics and like uh, oh, so it's like mentally improv. ill. It is. It's <laughs> okay. more like stand up, okay. even because you work for yourself. You don't have to work with anyone else. You can make <laughs> your own hours. Like you can go on binges and kind of come back and like do it all your. So, uh, so I was dealing with this woman who was just, you know, a lot to handle, and she was just like, just say your thing, and then you know, you write down your three points, and then if somebody keeps trying to get you off track, you just go back to to the beginning. So, um, yeah, I guess I think you just say your thing with confidence and I guess I don't get a lot of people talking back because I think they usually know it when I say it. They usually go, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's my biggest response is sort of like, ah, uh, Yeah. And I think when people do talk back, I mean, do you want, I mean, the truth is the only people who talk back to me tend to be men my age or older. Um, and uh, I usually just repeat myself. And if they continue to talk back, I say, you know what? Let's not continue to discuss it right now. Why don't you just go back to that and try it and see how it feels? Right, right. Yeah. You know. And or and or I'll say when I give you a note, an important thing to do is say thank you. And now let's go back to that and try it and see how it feels. Right. Rather than let them continue to defend themselves. I mean, I think an important thing to teach students is how to take a note. Yeah. Yeah. Especially those who are coming from a non-theater background. Mm -hmm. They may not be used to getting that kind of feedback. And so I find, you know, that I've found that they may be taking it personally versus it's about the work. I'm not talking about you as a person right yes, now. Right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's super important that we learn to take notes. Um, 
Yeah, and I'll say, you know, so sometimes with a whole class, you know, I'll say the important thing about notes is you don't have to agree, but you do have to hear it and acknowledge it and take it. And you may not agree today, uh, but you may agree later. At some point, it may make sense to you in a way that it doesn't right now. It may never make sense. You may never agree with this note. Right. Uh, but you need to take the note in the moment and just say thank you and think about it. Um, but we all need to learn professionalism, yeah. and professionalism is taking a note. And yeah. Saying, yes, thank you, and then move on. Yeah. Do you, um, have you ever had to have someone, not because they're not passing for whatever, have you ever had to ask someone to leave class, like just not come back because of behaviors? No. Cool. Not in my class. We did have, you know, we've had some weird things. Sure. At, it's in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> and also just, you know, we've had hundreds of students. So I've never had anyone in my class. We've had um, just some odd situations. We had somebody who lied about her age. Um, so we thought that she was, we thought that she had a learning disability uh, in the first class, and we put a whole bunch of systems in place to give her support. And then she said something when I talked to her on the phone that triggered my instincts and there were some other issues in, in that I didn't want to discriminate against her so we had everybody bring IDs every student had to bring an ID <laughs> the next class <laughs> and turned out she was 16 years old oh yeah 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 and, yeah. She, and she was lying to her parents oh and so that was a thing wow was like oh she wasn't learning disabled she was just 16 yeah uh-huh. so yeah I mean, and we were all oh. trying to be so support. You know, we got teachers' aid in there. Like we were trying oh, to be gosh. so supportive. Um, yeah, we had somebody, yeah, with an illness that she hadn't disclosed. Like certain just weird right situations. Right. Um, and you know, you just do the best you can. <laughs> you know, and then you put. Every every situation instills a new system. Yes, it does. Now everyone has to bring an ID every yeah. time. Now we have emergency contacts. Right. Um, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff. But yeah. Um, so I said some of my policies are amazing because of what people pull off. I'm like, oh, I would have never thought that. Let me write this down. Right. You become so aware that every rule anyone's ever made comes from somebody doing something you'd never expect. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, diversity. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, you're a female running a theater. Yeah. Which in of itself, you know, there's not many of us. Yeah. So um, in terms of handling. Portland's got a good number of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Florida's in the South. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what do you, what are you doing? Uh, so um, to facilitate that conversation and um, sometimes it's also about who's available, but in terms of like your teaching staff, I, I, what, how are you facilitating that? I guess is the question. My teaching staff, I actually, hadn't thought about it consciously is fairly female dominant that's true it is my company is rare in that like my board is female dominant my staff is female dominant 
think my teaching staff. What's your student body like? Because as we are starting to grow, we are starting to become more and more typical improv, and I'm very aware of that because we used to be like very 50-50 for a long time in our, our uh, female-to-male ratio in classes. Yeah. And like the last couple of classes that have come through, we're getting more improv-like where there's it's heavy on the dudes, heavier on the white dudes. Um, yeah, it's weird. Our... Um Students are even, our main stage is even, and then we have had rapid growth the past couple of years that's been uneven okay. and more male-dominated. So, yeah, as the growth, I also wasn't around. Um, my dad was ill for a couple of years, and it got uneven during that phase, okay. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so I am in a correction phase. Okay. So right now my level, my highest level uh, performance studies class is all women. Oh, yeah. I, nice. But I had a weird situation um, that I had to correct and did it by making an all-women's class. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's our, our teams are as 50-50 as possible. Um, but then as I watch, students will eventually be our next generation of players. And I'm like, ooh. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's there's a retention issue with women. So uh, for such so many different reasons, and it's hard. Dating is the hardest one to control. <laughs> like I can't control that one. Stop dating. Yeah, I know. I can't make that rule. And like women will date people, and then like if it doesn't go well. It's oddly the woman who will often not come back around. Right, right. And so um, I don't know what to do. <laughs> That's been like my project right. lately. It's like, can I make a speech about like, can you just take it slow? So if it goes off the right. rails, you'll still want to be around. Like, I don't know what to do about it. It used to be so female. Well, and weirdly, we people used to complain because everyone was married. So we so had like, like a no, few single women would be like, yeah, this sucks. Right. You know? But now we're not as much. So there's this dating scene happening and I'm like, it's odd to watch like new students come and then like, and then people come around and I'm like, I can't, it's none of my business. Right. So I can't be like, oh, you don't. Right. You don't Right, right. I know, I know. It's, it's weird. It's so weird. I don't know what to That's do. Um, it's, it's a whole weird thing. But yeah, I. Um, it is. It's going to be. It's a community. And right. It's going to be what it's going to be. Um, but in terms of like making it safe in every other way, we work aggressively. And I've been talking to a lot of other communities about it. We have a very clear sexual harassment policy. We have a code that I'm frustrated. So in terms of anything for everyone, male and female, if anyone is frustrated, um, that code means any one of our staff will drop whatever we're doing to talk to them. If they're frustrated with their coach or their fellow player or our administration or anything, we will drop what we're doing because it's hard to initiate a conversation when you're frustrated. You don't really know how to bring it up or whatever. You just send us a text or email or a Facebook message. It just says I'm frustrated. It doesn't mean you have to be massively frustrated. It just it initiates a conversation about any frustration you're having. Um, make it a, I talk about sexual harassment at every meeting to the 
that to the point where I'm sure people are sick of hearing about it. Um, but I want it to be clear that any sense of discomfort at all brought up means that we are open to it. You're not a troublemaker for bringing it up. You're not going to be considered a whiner or a complainer or a troublemaker at all. Your concerns will be addressed. They will be kept private. You will be protected. Uh, even if you just kind of want to know how to talk about it or you're just not sure if that if it's you or if it's them, like we're here to talk about it and help you navigate the world. Because if you don't aggressively help people feel welcome to bring it up, they won't bring it up. Yeah. And they'll quietly go away. Yeah, that's very true. Um, what kind of advice do you have for people who think they want to be teachers? Oh, teach, shadow, ask to shadow classes. We, we have a program that people, we ask every round who wants to shadow classes. Okay. And watch people teach. Ask to watch people teach. Uh, read every book. I love, I learn everything in the world through books. Yeah. They're the paper things that you can <laughs> read or you can get on a Kindle. Um, and performing and teaching are different things. And teaching is about your students and not about you. And I think that's the, a really important difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Will Luera was talking about how um, sympathy and empathy are so important in a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't, you know, agree more with that. Like, and that sometimes people, even though they haven't played a lot, their sympathy and their empathy is just a really strong drive within them. And so they may be ready to teach before they're even. I feel like I taught way early and I think it was my biggest way of learning. Yeah. And, you know, and I mentioned that I come from a family of teachers. Right. And so I, I really feel like uh, I, I was a better teacher even before I was a better player. It just mm-hmm. is how I learn and communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Where can people find you online? Um, they should go to Curious Comedy's Facebook and website. And we just installed a bunch of uh, cameras at Curious, which is really exciting. So you can see. And we're starting to do some master classes. So keep an eye out on that. We're going to start a YouTube um, page. We have a YouTube channel that will be launched in the next few weeks. And we did a master class with Joe Bill. And we're gonna, we did a master class with just like a exercise with bill finder and so we'll be doing some talks with teachers and then you'll get to see them teach some exercises nice um so we'll be doing more of that so check out our youtube channel and so you'll see shorter versions of conversations like this but you'll actually get to see some exercises we're trying to help people see how they teach okay cool so thank you so much much. thanks for doing it yay thank you